Hey, what's going on, people? Welcome to another episode of the Live Black Aggressively Show. You know, man, I, I, before we get into our topic, which is a really good one, you know, it's funny how now there are a lot of um, so-called quote-unquote podcasts that are now taking our philosophy now that we said years ago that, you know, we don't call this the Live Life Aggressively podcast. You know, we stopped doing that probably, what, after like the, <laughs> like what, the first, after the first year or so, you know, because it's just like, you know, it's not just a podcast. You don't want to just pigeonhole ourselves like that. It's like an actual show. And um, now all of a sudden I'm starting to hear these big name people like, no, you know, you pretty much limit yourself in the market by calling yourself a podcast. You know, you know, you need that's not what that basically the big industry comes up with this so they can keep you pigeonholed and make it a lot harder, especially when, when your show grows to make it that much harder for you to negotiate, you know, things on your own terms as far as like, okay. you know, residuals that you would get, you know, if they want to pick up that show and like you get the momentum of like a Rogan or something like that. So it's funny how people now are kind of catching on with that. So yeah, once again, brother, kind of ahead of our time on things. <laughs> so I just kind of rolls off the tongue better too, especially at that time because podcasts were pretty nascent. A lot of people didn't even know what it was. Exactly. When now everybody say, hey, has one. Podcast. People are going podcast. What's that? Is that something where I have to listen to it on my phone or I have to download? Well, something? I don't have an iPod, so how can I listen to it? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. your podcast. Yeah. And, and now it's just the it's the opposite of what's going on with it. But now everybody and their mom has it, but the same reasons why, you know, you, by us even thinking about that then applies to that logic as well. So now that everybody and their mom has one, you definitely don't want to just be another one that's in the crowd now. Because I remember everybody- when I first started my fitness business and I put together a newsletter, everybody had a newsletter. That was the, basically the predecessor to Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm. and social media and all that. It was a way to reach an audience and build an audience. But everyone called it a newsletter. And I right. think I like what T Nation, T Nation at that time was called Testosterone Magazine. And it was actually a digital magazine that you would get every Friday. You could subscribe yep. to it. I and that. I took that philosophy. So I called mine Aggressive Strength Magazine. And at that time, it, it was more of that kind of format because I would have guest submissions. I would have articles from other people. Yep. Now it's made basically more me just putting out quick content because <laughs> like we were talking about you can't put, you, there's no point even writing a 3000 word article anymore because no one's going to read it. No. I always laugh when I see someone post something on Instagram where it's usually some meme or some picture. And then there's this pontification that goes on forever. Oh yeah. So, below it, and it's, yeah, it's just like, no one's reading that. They just look at the words. picture and they, they've liked it and they've moved on. No one's reading right, your but caption. It, but it, it gives you fake feedback because you're getting all these likes, but you're, you're getting likes for the picture. But, no, but there are no replies. Out. There are no yeah. replies. So that's the thing is like, if they're not interacting with you and actually replying on that, and even I think where a lot of people drop the ball, even if they do get a response where people are replying to whatever they put in the caption, the person that posted it, does, they don't reply back to the reply. So that ends up kind of being just like, oh, so you really didn't want any type of interaction with what you were posting. You just wanted to post something and try to look smart or look clever right. or, and, you know, try to get the attention, but you did not even interacting with the people who actually took their time to actually re- reply back. I'm talking with a real response, not just some BS, like some people do, you know, anonymously or whatever, and just post some crap right. and keep, you know, troll right. and keep going. Yeah. So, yeah, man. But uh, yeah. speaking of which, you know, you know, so, like I said, um, the episode before the last one, you know, we were talking about, you know, dealing with the grief of losing, an, you know, an animal in the family. And the response has been very overwhelming. And, but it related to a lot of people. And, you know, we've heard feedback from folks. And yeah, and we responded to them as well. But um, it's kind of somewhat of a follow up to that. But 
it kind of applies to not just with losing an animal, but just grieving in general. This is kind of yeah. where we're going with this. Yeah, I think so. So I think that's a, I think it's a much broader topic that everyone can relate to. Not not right. everyone can understand the loss of a pet. They mm-hmm. just don't have that connection with animals. Maybe they've never had a pet, or they just don't have that intrinsically in them. Right. And that doesn't make them a bad person. That's just them. But everyone can relate to losing loved ones, mm-hmm. people, animals, <laughs> whatever it is. Right. <laughs> Relationships. You know, that's yeah, another, yeah, exactly. That's, that's another loss. That's you know? Yeah, it is. It is. And that's something not to be taken lightly, honestly. I think people take that. I think people are sometimes way too frivolous about that. Right. I talk to people that got divorced and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm fine, man. You know, I'm going to get out there and have a good time and all that. I was like, all right, all right, fine. You can go do that. But it's okay to mourn the loss. It doesn't right. make you less to do that. And I think one thing I wanted to talk about is this cup of sorrow philosophy I have. And also it ties into how grieving is not respected and utilized in America. We always try to distract ourselves because that's what we're good at is distracting ourselves. And whole industries have been created they, to take advantage of that ability, that desire to distract yourself. I mean, what is Instagram for most people? It's a distraction. Right. You're standing in line at the grocery store. It's a long line. It's boring. Now you can just look at your feed for while you're waiting. Grocery store? How about the red light? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm giving people too I, much credit. I, I see people doing that. I'm like, this dude is really sitting here scrolling and driving or scrolling at the red light. And I'm like, dude, but the ones that are well, driving, those are the worst. Well, I'm like, are you serious? Because... When, when, I, when I talk about social media and distraction in a derogatory manner, I think sometimes people may feel that I somehow think I'm above it. Yeah, some I type of elitist type point of view. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, like I'm not susceptible to it. I'm just as susceptible, if not more so, to everyone else. That's why I talk about it. But one thing I also do with having lost Grover a couple of weeks ago, I, my energy has been so low. I mm-hmm. feel like I'm walking in quicksand. Everything is a struggle right now. Working out, no desire to do it. I just make myself do it. Long walks are raining. I got to get her 10,000 steps in. I have no desire to do it. Sometimes it even irritates me when she's so enthusiastic <laughs> to do it. I was like, why are you so happy about this? Come <laughs> right. on, man. I was like, can't we just do a short walk now? You're grieving too. You lost Grover. But no, she wants to live her life. She wants to get out there. Right. It ultimately, it ends up being good for me to do those long walks because it gives me a lot of alone time to think. And walking's always been very meditative to me. But, but everything is a struggle right now. And often when people can relate to that, they know what I'm talking about. Anyone who's had a serious loss, whether it's an actual living being or a relationship or something that was important to you. And I think the problem is, is that people don't take it on fully. They try to distract themselves from that because that's what we're good at. They go, okay, I'm going to be sad for a day or two. Then I'm going to get right back at it. You're putting, right. a, putting a time frame constraint, a limit on your grieving. And then we get a lot of bad advice from other people. Like when Grover died, the kind of platitudes I got from a lot of people were, oh, uh, you gave him such a good life and it was the right thing to do. And it's like, look, I don't need any of that right now. You know, I don't need to be told that I gave him a great life. I don't need to be told it was the right thing. None of that makes me feel any better at this moment. And really nothing is going to make me feel better. So don't try to make me feel better. It's okay for me to not to feel okay right now. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. And and however long you're going to feel that is however long you're going to feel it because that's a healthy thing. Because I feel like in life, we all have these cups of sorrow and it starts off empty. Mm -hmm. And then things happen and this this glass starts filling up and it starts filling up. And what happens is, is that we're trying to suppress it from overflowing. 
but yeah. it's the overflowing where the healing starts. Yeah. As long as it's in the glass, it's in your subconscious. It's in, it's, it's, it's taking a piece of your soul because it hasn't been addressed. Mm-hmm. It's honestly inhibiting your ability to live fully and enjoy life fully because it's just sitting there. Once it starts overflowing, you know, it's overflowing when the grief can't be contained. Like when we had to put Mickey down, Mickey passed a couple of weeks before Grover in September. And I kept it together as long as I could. I kept it together in the vet's office. I kept it together when they gave him the injections. I kept it together during all of that. I even kept it together walking out, although I could feel it coming up. So I'm just like, bye. And you get out of there quickly. Once I got back in the car, though, it, it, the grief just exploded out. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it felt good. But what I am going to say is that it was necessary because right. there's no way I could contain that. There's no way I could contain that. Well, it definitely probably felt better than just keeping it all trapped in, you know? Right. <laughs> Right. Because he meant a lot to me and to lose him, that's traumatic. Mm-hmm. And how other people feel about it is none of my business. Right. So if other people are like, what's the big deal? It's like, okay, well, that's, that's none of my business. What you think? I don't care what you think. It's not going to make me feel better or worse. So just fuck off. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> I don't need to hear all that nonsense right now. But I, what I will say is that I knew Grover's time was eminent too. And the gift that I got from Mickey is that, okay, grieve Mickey as much as you need to, but also realize that Grover has only got a couple of weeks to a month left as well. So you need to make that month the best month ever for him. Right. Dogs need extra care when they're seniors, just, just like they need that extra attention and care when they're puppies to get trained, to build up healthy habits, to be socialized. They need that towards the end of their life as well. Because I think a lot of times older dogs feel discarded after a while. They almost feel like they're a burden on you. They right. start keep they start becoming reclusive as a result of that. They start spending more time alone. Now Grover never did that. Grover and I had a bond from the first day I got him that that was there his entire life. Even on the very last day that he was alive, he wanted to be by my side. That's all he wanted. That's what made him most happy. Even when he didn't want to eat anymore, and he was a voracious eater, even when he didn't want to drink water, he still took comfort in being around me. His face still lit up when he saw me. Now, that was the kind of connection we had. It was really special. You know, Grover was a really special dog. And it was a, a profound loss when he had to go. But one thing I do feel good about is that that last month, I made it as comfortable as possible and as enjoyable as possible. Gave him his favorite foods every day. Made him a peanut butter sandwich every day. Gave him fun treats. Spent a lot of time with him. I missed one of the, some of the things I missed with not having extra dogs around is that I like watching TV with Carol. We watch some shows at night, kick back in the living rooms. My favorite part of the day, I go, Hey, I got all the work done, finished walking Raina, ate dinner. And now I can just lounge out. And <clears throat> I love having the other dogs around too. So it wasn't just me and Carol be our other three, Raina, Grover and Mickey as well. So it right. felt like a group, almost like a party. Like mm-hmm. we're having a little party here because there's five of us that are enjoying this experience and enjoying each other's company. And to have two of those members stripped away in such a small time span, right? that that was really difficult. And I, in the past, when I've lost people, lost animals, I definitely grieved. When I lost Mona, I grieved. When I lost my mother, I, of course, grieved. But I also, but I also gave myself a limit. I, 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 let, I let myself be sad for a little while. And then I said, okay, I got to get back to it now. I got to get back into my training routine. I got to get back to the building, the business. I got to get back to teaching courses. I mean, look, after, I think the day after, actually the day after I found out my mother died, you and I had an episode scheduled with Nate Morrison 
yeah. to do the show. And the right thing for me to do would have been to cancel. It's not like you wouldn't have understood. It's not like Nate would have understood, not wouldn't have understood. And we could have just done it the next week. But I, I wanted to distract myself because that's what we're taught to do in America. Distract yourself, do something productive. Look, I come from a family where my dad's famous saying is a day depressed is a day wasted. You know, it's right. almost like we have this, this abhorrence of grieving and of being sad. Like it's something that is a weakness. It's something I was about to say, yes, yeah, that whole weakness thing again. It's just like, you know, you got to you got to stay strong and they would have want you to carry on with your life. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not, not like I'm funny. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, they would want you to they would want you to move on. Okay. Well, they're not here right now. Exactly. Like, how do you know this? Up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How do you know this? <laughs> so, what are you, a medium? Are you talking to them right now? <laughs> it's like, gee. <laughs> Tyler Henry, but, shut I, I think up. people just don't know how to grieve. That they, that's why people give so much bad advice, because they don't know how to grieve. Look, look, look it's, just like, it's just like young people give so much bad advice. But the advice I got as a young person was, Go to college and get a job. That was it. That was the right. highest aspiration. And work you, hard. Come on. You want to be successful, work hard every day. It, yeah, it was never something of find something you're really excited about. It's going to make your life so much more pleasurable. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to wake up excited. That, that wasn't even put out as a possibility. Like that was considered ridiculous. Like if you- well, If you're enjoying it, my, it can't be- I told my parents work. back then. Yeah, if I told my parents like, look, I want to- I'm going to create something amazing and I'm going to, it's going to be exciting and I'm going to have fun doing it. And I'm going to, I'm going to feel really good about it. They would have been like, what are you, what That's not practical. Are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, you know, how, how can you, how can you be taking care of your responsibilities if you're actually enjoying them? <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like yeah. you're having fun. Then that's not, that's not, that's not work. That's not a job. Yeah. You know, you, yeah, you're just, you're just farting up, around. <laughs> time to grow up, which is always, which is, that, which, yeah. which, whenever, whenever someone says it's time to grow up, whatever advice follows is never good advice. <laughs> Unless they're living in their mom's basement and they're 35 years old. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that, well, that's a bigger problem. That, that's, exactly. That's, that's, that's a parenting failure. Okay? Don't, that's, that, don't tell that child, and I do that, they are a child, they're a man child or a woman child. Don't tell them to grow up when you won't allow them to. You know, like, yeah, that, that's a parenting failure because exactly. 45 and they're still there. It's like you told me, I remember you and I were talking about this a long time ago. You, you're you're all going, my son knows, my son would never ask to come stay here. He oh, knows hell better. No. <laughs> and this is when he was in his 20s, right? He, like, he knows better because, because you're being a good father and a good parent by saying that because you're not doing anyone any favors by just facilitating this really easy life so that they never develop and deal with struggle. Exactly. Like, dude, I left, I moved out the day after graduate high school graduation, as I promised myself since elementary school. And yeah. I kept that promise. And I was 17. And I, was, and I figured it out. <laughs> it wasn't easy, but I figured it out. So like, I'm looking at them like, I was like, your life is way easier. So you're definitely going to figure it out, but you can't stay here. You got to get the hell out of here. Uh, Carol was on a bus from Tennessee to, to Los Angeles when she was 18. Yeah. She, she, when she wanted, and that's why she, she's has so many interesting experiences and, and grew up into this interesting adult because she put herself out there in that way. I mean, that's a daunting task, honestly, for someone who's never even been outside. The, well, I think she'd been outside the state, but she, I don't think she'd ever been to the West Coast at that You're point. You're going like cross country, you know, and, yeah. you know, you're, you know, and then not, not diminishing the women being weak, but, you know, you're a woman, you're a black woman, you're, you're going to a whole different culture compared right. to where she was raised, you know, right. from Tennessee to travel through these Midwest and Southern states. And then eventually you get to the West coast, you know, it's a lot of different cultures you're, you're encountering. If you haven't been outside of your own area growing up, you know, it's a lot, you know? Right. So, right. and you know, I'm like, but at the same time, when you put away those fears, it's exciting as hell. You're like, Shh, if I get through this, I mean, dude, I, that was one of my things I said, I said, man, let me tell you, 
even being homeless for a little while, I laughed that whole time. I was like, man, I can't wait to have kids because I'm going to talk so much shit. I'm like, I was sleeping in my girlfriend's car, dude. Somebody, and I was doing so much because, first of all, her roommates were rapey as hell, you know, so I had to get out of there. Like, that was a very uncomfortable situation. I don't care what guy, any guy with a conscience, I don't care who you are. That is not a comfortable situation. Like, oh, I would have welcomed all three. No, you wouldn't. It's, it's, it's gross, you know? So I'm like, I'd rather sleep in a car in the parking lot of my former universe. Not even the one I was attending at that time, you know, just to get far away from him and sleep under a freaking tree every night, you know? So just to be away from that situation, I said, well, man, Ooh, when I was, and it was cold. It was like the winter. I was like, man, Ooh, man, kids, as soon as they get this age, they start talking crap. I can't wait. I said, this is the equivalent of your parents. My, I walked 20 feet, I walked 20 miles barefoot in the snow to go to school. I'm like, I said, this right here is even better. I said, this is a much better story. It's like, man, my girlfriend has some rapey roommates. And how do I avoid that? I was homeless and I slept in the car. <laughs> Just like, they're going to be like, I'm not. How are you going to top that? No, you can't. Go out and live your life and shut the hell up. <laughs> so. I think with grieving, when when for those of us that are animal lovers, we've had strong bonds with our pets. It's it's a different kind of loss when you lose a person. Like when I lost my mom, that was really difficult. In some ways, losing Grover is even more difficult. And the reason why I say that is because Grover and I developed a really special bond. When I picked him up at the shelter, and it was also a, a very special bond that me, my mother, and Grover developed because my mother came to visit. Mm-hmm. My mother went with me to go visit Grover at the shelter. When I showed him, I showed her a picture of him. She's like, oh, I want to go meet him too. Big dog lover herself. And Grover looked a lot like a dog I had before, Mona. And that's what inspired me to go look at Grover. And when she, when Grover's name was Boko at the time, and when my mom saw him, she took one look at him. She goes, oh, you got to rename this dog Grover if you get him. Better name. I was like, it's perfect name. So it was kind of a bond between the three of us. But it was also, when I picked up Grover and he just looked at me in the car the whole ride back to the house, He's trying to feel you out. He came from an abusive background. So he's like, what am, what, what am I getting myself into here? Is this right. guy going to be nice? Or am I going to be with another abusive family? What's going to happen here? And once he realized, you know, I, I remember I turned to him and now I'm the kind of guy who likes to talk to dogs. <laughs> so people, make fun of me. people make fun of me for doing that, but I talk to dogs all the time. They're like, you know, the dog can understand you. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you think. Exactly. Yes, they can. Trust me. They can understand the energy. Okay. So yeah, exactly. I turned to Glover and remember I said, hey, look, you're never going to have to, I'm going to take care of you for the rest of your life. You're never going to be abused. You're going to be in a loving home. That I promise you, whatever happens between now and the end of your life, I'm going to be with you the whole time and I'm going to take care of you. And when we got back to the house and he had a nice meal and he realized he's in a fun place, he turned around immediately. It was as if all that trauma he had been through didn't matter anymore. It's gone. And he also, he also bonded with me heavily because he goes, here's a guy who loves me. So I'm going to love him back unconditionally. Right. And people always say, Oh, I love so and so unconditionally. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's only, always conditions. Only babies and dogs, man. Only yeah. babies and dogs. With an animal, that's one of the things why it's so hard for those of us who lose an animal pet is that they really do love us unconditionally. Yeah. Grover really did love me unconditionally. He saw me through all the highs and lows. It didn't matter how famous I was at the time or how much money I made that month or where we were living. He just wanted to be by me. Grover rather have lived with me as a uh, as a homeless person then live in the nice house we're in right now oh dude and i see it's crazy let me tell you you know what homeless people can usually get money out of me the ones that are on the corner with their dogs oh yeah and i can can tell they're not using it as a prop 
You know, right. uh, sometimes like when I'm sitting there waiting for the light and I'm watching him, I'm watching the, the, the human being more, you know, more attentive to the dog, you know, on that corner than worrying about trying to go to a car to get money. And right. I say, with that, sometimes I have to get, get their attention. Really, and I tell them like come really quick because I know they really are concerned about their animal. So, oh. <clears throat> and then I'm like, I, that's the only reason why I keep change on me for those situations, especially. Right. I'm like, you know, or I feel even better if we're like, let's say we're leaving our restaurant and we have some food or whatever. Then I'm like, here, you know, here you go. Or even if we have some like leftovers, like some food to go. You know, if we see someone home, especially if you see them with a the dog, I'm like, here you go, man, for you and your dog. Yeah, and they get excited about that man they're like oh thank you so much because you know i was wondering how i was gonna feed him today i was like oh man i was like okay ooh, okay <laughs> so what a terrible position to be in I mean, oh i know man you know, it's like the whole time with I, i've never had a dog where i ever had to worry about that vet bills or yeah or costs or anything i was never a concern i go how am i going to take care of this this animal and that's right that's a big time blessing to be in that situation and then i can tell like pretty much like you know even though this person's really having hard times or whatever i'm watching like the dogs like i've never seen it where a dog wasn't just that dog was just sitting there living his life and just so happy to be there with this human you know right. you know i'm like you know i don't even think the dog even knows that they're going through some stuff he's like <laughs> hey we're, yeah. we're together that's all that matters you know right. so i was like i said now what human how rare is it to find a human that treats you that way like you're yeah. going through stuff and it's like hey man what so what hey whatever i love you <laughs> you know because after a while you know for some most humans that you know that that unconditional love becomes conditional you're like okay something's got to yeah. happen here you know something has to change can't keep living like this so I, like i said i always question that whole like yeah i love so you know my you know be, i love them unconditionally i'm like really there's not one thing that make you like you know what hold up <laughs> You know, so people, you people look- see that and then they have a little spat and then both exactly. butt hurt and they don't talk for five years. <laughs> but there, there was never a time where Grover and I got mad at each other and we didn't talk or we didn't hang out with each other. He just goes and- where Grover was going, hey, you know what, Mike, you were mean to me. So I'm just I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm going to go. I'm um, just going to sit over here in my bed and don't even look yeah, at yeah, me. I'm not going to come upstairs and sleep in the bedroom with you guys. I'm going to stay down here until you, you get pet him. He just like looks like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like nah <laughs> so a lot can be learned like you know I've, I've said it numerous times here it's like we can learn so much from animals like even just like again just being in the moment like even going back to like i said the dogs who were there with you know they're they're human who's homeless he's so that dog is so much in the moment just like hey and it is, they're excited because you know every few seconds there's this stranger and they're like oh my god your dog and it's like oh it's every car is a new experience for the dog <laughs> because, because dogs are always in the moment they're they can enjoy excitement in the moment yes so that every time Raina and i go for a walk we drive over to the park she can't wait to get in the car she can't wait to stick her head out the window and enjoy the scenery and take in the air mm-hmm. and just look at she looks out the window as if she's watching a tv show it's just captivated by everything she's seeing out there and then she's always excited to be out there it's never a situation of hey we did this yesterday so we don't need to do it today. <laughs> right. It was, no, yesterday is gone. Right now is all that exists. And right now I'm excited about what we're doing. It doesn't matter that we did it yesterday and the day before and the day before that, or we're going to do it tomorrow. Tomorrow doesn't exist and yesterday is gone. So right now mm-hmm. is what I'm excited about. And that's a big lesson right there that we can all learn. Even when you eat, like when do you eat? <laughs> Each time that you eat during the day, every day, do you get excited about it? Every time. <laughs> No, but no. your dog is like, you know, you just had this yesterday, right? They don't care. They're like, dude, you're feeding me. This is cool. He's just like, ah, man, 
you know? It's like, when life is good, dogs shine. The only yes. time a dog is depressed is when they're, they're stuck abused, in a shelter man. and they've been there for months and no yeah. one's coming to get them and they're becoming despondent and they're, they, they start losing hope that they're ever going to get out of that situation. A lot of times yeah, dogs die from sadness. Yeah, know? because every time they get their hopes built up, every time someone visits the shelter and they get excited, like, oh, this is the one, this is the one, and then nothing. Well, that's and, why, and then you got to listen to other dogs around it barking and sounding sad as well. So right. that takes a toll as well, you know. That's why Grover was in the shelter. I forget how long he was. There. He wasn't there for too long. I want to say he was there for two weeks or so. But that's that's long enough. <laughs> that's not. Oh fun. yeah, it's not like fun to eternity. be there for one night, but for two weeks, that's an eternity for a dog, especially because they don't know why they're there and they don't know if they're ever going to leave. They don't know what's going on. Right. Like the second he got out of that situation and he knows he has a person who loves him and he's in a nice family and a nice home. They're like, okay, I'm not going to think about that bullshit anymore. That's over. No, that's in the past. Now, right now, as long as right now is good, they're good. So that's another thing we can learn because, you know, a lot of us bring baggage from past relationships. Then when you finally get one that's good, you expect the same drama of the last one to the point where you won't even let yourself be successful in a relationship because you don't think you deserve it because you put up, you tolerated that other situation for so long that that it became normal. So anytime you're actually receiving love, seems abnormal and it can't be right like what is this because you haven't learned how to speak that language just yet and so it seems very foreign just like it'd be just saying like we're flipping channels and all of a sudden you come across like the vietnamese channel you know it could be something that looks interesting but then after a while it's kind of like i don't understand you especially if you don't have the the ability to have like you know subtitles you're like okay after a while it might be a little difficult to want to sit there and watch it because right. it's not a language that you truly understand. And then as things are going on, and you're like, okay, I don't understand what's happening here. You know, so you end up changing the channel. So that's what ends up happening when people don't really have, you know, humanity or love, you know, as their language. It's strange. So they're going to find ways to get back to what feels comfortable to them and what's what's normal to them, which is chaos, you know, anger and, you know, disrespect, you know, so they'll try to cause fights when there's no reason to be fighting. They want to start an argument because they think like, if you're not arguing with them, then you don't love them. Because yeah. that's what they've grown up in and that's what they've gone through with other relationships and think that that's how it should be, you know, to the point where it's like, mm, yeah. I'm not, you know, because I, I even happened like um, my wife and I first started dating. She couldn't understand like why I would, you know, the, why are you not trying to have arguments? Why are you not? I'm like, nothing's happened. What are you talking about? Because she was she was in such a volatile relationship before that where everything was just always an issue. Right. Where they're always constantly like, you know, having screaming matches and blah, blah. I'm like, as and I grew up and I, first of all, I grew up in a household where there was no screaming. It's like you talk like rational adults. <laughs> if you were screaming, you were told you you might want to go take a walk. Like I remember my grandmother telling my grandfather, like some the few times that he ever raised his voice. She's like, yeah, you might want to go take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just something by the way she said that that he understood like, yeah, I'm going to take that walk. And guess what? I, he and I would go take a walk. <laughs> you know so it was a fun time for me because I, I love walking with my dad you know so i was like oh oh well uh, i guess we're taking our evening walk a little early tonight <laughs> today so. and, when, and, when, and when a black woman tells you that you better go do it yeah especially when she just really the alternative is not going to be better than the walk. no it's not and when it's very matter of fact like this she's like yeah you might when it's a suggestion it's not really a suggestion right it, it's, it's a matter of safety and she's like yeah you might want to go ahead and take a walk and then when you're ready to talk to me correctly, then you let me know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's an objective right there. So <laughs> you go ahead and pay attention to that. So, yeah, man. So I, so, so the whole yelling thing screaming like that doesn't, that's never worked for me. I don't even like being around a lot of loud people in a, in a place. 
where everybody's you know talking. Well, think they're talking to each other, but everybody's talking at the exact same time, and they're all loud. I'm like, yeah. oh, so there's no way that there's any effective communication happening right now, <laughs> you know. So, and a lot of this, like a lot of that is culture. I mean, in my wife's culture, that's what they do. And like, and it took a while. It's like I said, oh my gosh, and I've had to stop them sometimes. I said, the reason why you guys are trying to have a discussion and you going you're saying the same things over and over and going round and round, but not finding a resolution to what you're discussing is the fact that no one's listening to each other. You're all talking at the same time. Everybody wants to be heard at the exact same time. I said, so how about you actually wait till the other person finishes and actually listen, don't wait for your turn to talk, but actually listen. You can probably find solutions a lot faster. I said, I said, you really are not going to find much calm in this chaos. <laughs> you know, so, and that's one thing they, they'll tell you that they've learned from me. I'm just like, dude, it's just, this is like, this is effective communication right here. Just give a person a chance, you know, especially when you're right there in front of each other. There's been times like, yeah, throughout the years that we've done this show, sometimes it's not like we're all talking just because we can't, first of all, people can't see each other. So it's really hard to get those cues sometimes. So what's worked is a lot of times, like now we kind of just, we can just tell by the tone now because we've worked together for so long. It's like, okay, we're, we're he, okay. So it's, I'm going to hold on just a second. Cause I feel like he may not be done just yet talking about right. that. And, um, to some point where you'll hear sometimes there's this kind of a long pause because now we really want to make sure that the other person has had that, that opportunity to really express their thoughts and what they were talking about, you know, and make sure we don't like talk over them, whatever. And well, the long um, pause is healthy because it shows that you're actually listening. You're not just waiting to, to say what you want to say. Exactly. And it also helps you come up with, a response that actually is, you know, that, that fits the situation, you know? So sometimes people just like, they're so ready. Just like, I need to say this. I need to say this. And you haven't even processed what was said before you started talking. So then you'll say something like that has nothing to do with what he was just saying (laughs) because you weren't in the moment and weren't listening to that person. And I think that's a good thing to do just in life period. Just like take that pause when you're talking to someone. You know, and a lot of times I think that will also cut down on conflicts, you know, because again, it it gives you that difference between responding and reacting, you know. So when you're responding, you've actually taken a second to really think about, okay, let me just take, let me process this before I come with it. And then a lot of times you probably find yourself in a situation where you realize you don't have the answer for whatever was coming up, you know, what if there was a question or something like that and you don't look as dumb because, <laughs> you know, and you don't have to feel like, Oh, okay. I got all the answers, but then you realize you were wrong. And then you gotta, now you gotta face the fact that now you have to admit that, okay, I may have misspoke or, and which a lot of times the ego won't allow that <laughs> because let's just be honest. The ego is the one that keeps cutting people off in their thoughts. And it makes you want to have to feel like you have to be clever enough to have an answer for everything. And and one thing the ego doesn't like is those three beautiful words. I don't know, <laughs> you know, so you know, why do we have to have all that? So again, that's another one of those things that we can talk about that happens here in the West is that we're always, in a, you know, we're always pretty much seems like we're put in a position where we have to know all the answers, which kind of goes back to you like you know, with a cup of sorrows. And right. when people are, when they're around someone that's dealing with grief, we're trained here, especially in the West, we have to fix it. Right. The sooner we fix it, the sooner we can move on and don't have to worry about it anymore. So they, they give these contrived responses. And like you were saying, like, you know, you gave them such a good life and blah, blah. They think by saying those things, that's going to fix your grief right then. And then you can move on thanks to their conversation. 
you know, it's next to their response that that'll give you the relief that you need. It's almost like, okay, I'm now let me go ahead and give you permission to move on by saying that you did this and this, even though that they're not necessarily meaning any harm by what they're saying. But again, it's just what we've been so trained to do. Fix it, fix it, fix it and move on. That's what you're supposed to do. You don't have time to sit here and, and, and cry over spilled milk, as they like to say. You, you know, know what it really, you know what it really comes, you know what I, it's, you might agree with this observation. It's almost as if people want to maintain a status quo. So we're, we're all used to doing small talk out here at the park. Now here's someone who just came along with some actual trauma. Mm-hmm. So we got to, we got to get him through that trauma as quickly as possible so that we can get back to our small talk. Exactly. God, like, God forbid we talk about anything profound. With substance, you know? Yeah. I, I, I can agree with but, that. But what I say with grieving is that it's, it's okay to check out and to become a minimalist for as long as it takes. And here's what I mean by that. Like I said, my energy has been really low. I, I, don't, I don't wake up in the morning enthusiastic at all. I make myself get out of bed. But at the same time, I'm also letting myself sleep as much as I need. Hmm. So I'm not forcing myself. I'm going, sometimes I sleep seven, eight hours and I go, you know what? I need a little bit more. So I'll sleep another 30 minutes. A lot of times Raina jumps on the bed because Carol's an early morning person. So she's up and at it 6am, 7am. Hmm. Raina goes outside with her and then she comes, I wake up, Raina's there. And that makes me relax even more. So now, now I go, <laughs> Hey, I'm, let's just stay in bed. And she's been basically shadowing me a lot more since Grover passed. So I know that she's sad as well. She was right there when Grover got the injection. She was lying right next to him, comforting him. And she can pick up on my energy too. You know, she's very intuitive, just like most dogs are. So she knows that I need more emotional support. And she she really is an emotional support dog. She doesn't just wear the jacket because she's been following me around. She's in the office with me right now. She's been following me around a lot more than she normally does. Yeah. So she knows she needs it for herself and she knows I need it. And that's, what's great about dogs. They're, that's what you need is what, what she's giving me is actually useful because she's just giving me support. She's not trying to tell me <laughs> she can't speak English, but <laughs> she's, not, she's not trying to be like, Hey, come on, get over it. Let's just, let's just play around. Let's have a good right. time. So I think what happens is that people are so uncomfortable around grieving because they have repressed their own grieving too. And your sadness and they're going, Oh, I know what that feels like, but I I didn't, I haven't addressed it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to address it. Honestly, I think it's the other thing is no one's really been trained or taught how to deal with this stuff. Or they don't want to think about impending grief. Like, so now it's a reminder, like, okay, now they realize like, Oh, I actually have people in my life that I care about now. And I don't even want to think like case in point, even like when I said I was editing the episode, we were talking about the loss of a pet. <clears throat> excuse me and like i said um while i was editing it editing it you know it was hitting me it was then it was sort of really getting heavy and then i just remember that um the day that we recorded it and my wife was asking me like what did you guys talk about today and i told her and then i was telling her the situation that was going on with grover and she was like oh yeah i, I can tell you now that's one episode i'm not gonna listen to <laughs> and you know because again it was gonna remind her that one day you know we're gonna have to deal with that right. you know we're gonna be there too you know whereas like this like the last time she lost a pet is like when her before like right when she and I first started dating early probably within like a week of us dating and I never got to meet her like her dog ran away and they like and they couldn't find her so they you know she takes comfort in hoping that someone found it you know found him and gave him a good home that's what she went with okay so whereas the last, my last one, as we mentioned in that episode is like right at the time that I, you know, got separated from my, you know, my, my previous wife. And, and that was like, 
probably maybe a year or so before my wife and I started dating my wife now. And so it was still kind of fresh, like, okay, yeah, now that's been about a little over 15 years from now. But again, when we did that episode, it made, it brought up again, brought up emotions that were feeling pretty fresh, you know, from that, because you and I, when we were talking that episode, I got to bring up some things that I didn't necessarily have anyone to talk to that would understand, you know, the, the feelings that I was going through, you know, when that happened. And so it just kind of made me relook at that situation again. And so again, like I said, people, a lot of times people don't want to have to think about losing someone, you know, or an animal that they love, you know, or a human that they love and have to go through that process because they're thinking like, and it kind of goes back to another one of my buddies and I were talking about the other night. We was just meeting up, having cigars and talking. And when we start talking about like insurance, nobody wants to talk about life insurance because you know why? We don't talk about life insurance because life insurance is connected to death. <laughs> Only way it's going to be effective. Otherwise, it's just money you're just spending. But here's the thing about it. It's just like, yeah, but if I we talk about, you know, getting your affairs in order and getting your life insurance, then that means that you think it's almost like they feel like if you talk about that, then that person is going to die tomorrow or they're going to die tomorrow. If you start talking about that now, it's almost like or, or gonna, it's a reminder that you are going to die. Yeah, I'm like, bad. yeah, <laughs> memento <laughs> mori, no okay? <laughs> there is a saying for that, okay? So don't remember, you will die. So the thing, I'm like, yeah, but when you get, like I told him, I said, yeah, but here's the thing, especially, especially in our culture, especially in black culture, they really don't ever want to talk about death. They don't oh, want to talk about that, right. man. But um, I, said, I, said, yeah, I said, you know what's so funny? I said, but does anyone think that when they get car insurance that they're automatically going to have a wreck that day? <laughs> You're like, oh, now I got to get car insurance. Man, it's almost like I'm I'm condemning myself to have a car wreck. You're like, no, you don't do, no. Or when you get dental insurance, do you think that your teeth are going to fall out as soon as you start talking about getting dental insurance? It's so silly. It's just like, come on, let's just, let's just go ahead and just, here's the one guarantee that came when the day you came out the womb. Your guarantee was you're going to die. That's the only thing life guarantees you that it will end in this form that you're in. So it's just like, and yeah, it's like, yeah, we, you have your loved ones, you have people that you truly care about, but just know that one day, one of you going to go before the other one, you know, even if you're together, someone's still probably going to go at the same time, you know, before you or after you. And so it's, it's a guarantee. So here's the thing. Here's the one thing you can take from all of that each day, live your life, man live your life to my and now uh, sometimes the, the whole thing like man live your life like there you know like you like there's no tomorrow don't do that <laughs> <laughs> don't do that don't, don't go out and like well shit, I, I might as well run these credit cards up i mean i'm sure what's the whole yeah, point exactly. anyway I, I can't even the, the, the list of dumb things i would do <laughs> if i actually knew that it was the last day oh, man. So long that it better be you know by the time i get to the end of that day it better be my last day. when i lie down that but i better be like that's a wrap like and scene okay i I don't want to wake up i'm gonna be freaked out i'm gonna be like wait a minute i only did all that stuff i did yesterday because i thought it was gonna be over the doctors call you the next day like mr Mahler, you know what we have good news you actually you were misdiagnosed you're actually gonna be okay (laughs) (laughs) like no i'm not <laughs> yeah, now I'm really now I'm now, now I'm gonna die of depression. Die. Yeah, yeah, now I'm really gonna die. <laughs> Tell me, you know how many hookers I slept with last night? I'm protected. What the hell? Man? <laughs> oh man, and I pay for all that on my wife's credit card. <laughs> oh jeez. But the the thing does, you know, Rumi always says that there's a seed of happiness and sorrow because yep. the only reason you're 
sorrow, the only reason you're experiencing sorrow is because it meant so much to you and yeah. to experience something that meant so much to you. I mean, I was one thing that really helped me with the grieving process, losing Grover is just putting this video compilation. Fortunately, I have a lot of pictures and even clips of him throughout the years. And I had I actually found more on a couple of different computers I've had over the years. And I just put them all together into this montage and I put up the clip on YouTube. And initially I, I was just going to make it private for me. I go, I don't need to put this out there for anyone else to see. And then I thought, you know what? This may help some other people too. Some other people may be losing a pet and then they go on YouTube and they see these memorials that just to know that other people, sometimes when you have such a profound connection with an animal, you wonder if anyone else even knows what you're feeling. Does anyone else have this kind of connection? And what you realize after you lose a pet and talk about it, the post I put on Instagram and the video I put up on YouTube is that yes, emphatically, yes, a lot of other people have had that experience are having that experience and they know what you're going through. They feel it just like they've felt it like you do, or they know they're going to feel it like that. And I think what had, so I, so that, that is something that I think really is, is really cathartic and helps with the healing process. And it's nice for me to be able to revisit that because one thing I worried about after a Grover lost, I, I just almost went into a panic thinking about it is I don't want to, I don't want to get to the point where I don't remember him like this anymore. I don't want, I can't, I don't want it to be 10 years from now. And I barely remember what he looked like Right. because I've had that happen with other dogs I've had where I don't have a lot of pictures. I mean, I was looking at some pictures of Mona who was my sidekick before Grover. I used to walk around Santa Monica with her every day. And I, this is pre smartphones and pre phones that take pictures. This is the digital camera era, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think this might've even been before a digital camera because I remember I was, I the pictures I have of her, or pictures that were developed somewhere. Yeah. And I was looking at some pictures of her and it, I was like, wow, you know, it's interesting for me to look at her because it's, it's like, I barely remember what she looked like in that, in that way. Yeah. Because we, you didn't capture a lot of those memories. The way I did with Grover is I can look at that YouTube clip every day and keep that memory fresh. Like that's what he looked like. That's how much fun he was. That's how much fun we had. You see it. And it's something I can look at every day or anytime I want to and revisit that because some, sometimes that that's the fear also is that I'm not going to remember him. No one's going to remember him. It's going to be like, he didn't exist. It's going to be like that kind of mentality. Yeah. Even on the human side of things, I was sitting there and um, probably a few weeks ago, I was just sitting there, my wife and I were talking and I was like, do you realize that for the average person, because we were talking about like this whole thing, you know, this whole thing about generational wealth and building legacies and blah, blah, you know, you know, people, that's, that's the invoke thing to talk about right now. (laughs) And so I'm sitting there thinking, I said, you know, so one side of it, we were like, you know, what's the point of you building all these legacies just for a couple of the next generation, like your kids or their kids to come along and they don't care. And what you tend to see a lot of what happens with, you know, certain cultures, including our own, my own or whatever, is that you have these parents who bought a house, let's say like in the 1950s or whatever, and they've had this house forever, but they haven't necessarily kept it up to today's standards. They end up passing away and they end up, um, the kids end up inheriting these houses. But let's just say that house is like, just say it's in Mississippi or Texas, but these kids now live like in LA or New York and they have no desire to ever come back home. And so now this thing that they inherited has now become this burden to them. And, you know, their parents got this house for like $30,000. And, but now that house is worth, 
Well, basically, some real estate person comes in and is like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll take it off your hands for, I don't know, 50000 So the kids think like, ooh, that's 20000 more than my mom paid for it. Okay, cool. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to have to deal with I'm not trying to go back and forth and make sure it's maintained and all this other stuff. I, I got my own life. That's not what I'm trying to do. Right. And so then and that developer now tears the house down, sells the land for like $3 million. You know, but and yet still all the stuff that the parents went through or whatever to maintain at home and all this other stuff, create those memories, all that is gone now because the kids didn't want to be bothered. Same thing with a business. You know, you build this business up and then you try to pass along to your kids and hope they run the business. They could care less because they're not interested in that. You know, so these a lot of these parents try to force their kids like, you know, and one day you're going to take over the family business, but the kids don't care about that. They're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want a restaurant. You know, say so I don't want to run a, a landscaping business or a construction business. It's like, I want to go and make art or do something like that. So they end up not caring and the business goes to crap, but there's nothing you can do about it. You're dead, <laughs> you know? So, you know, or these kids do it out of guilt or whatever else. So again, my point is, you know, these legacies or whatever, it's like, what's the point sometimes? So why not just spend your time? Like, this is what you love to do. Focus on that and whatever. And don't worry about the legacies and all that. But um, now I've kind of lost my point because that was also like always a good point to me to think about, you know, we focus too much on like, I'm going to leave all this behind. Oh, here's my point. I'm going to leave. So then here's the other thing on the flip side of that. When you think about one day, okay, we're all going to die. So unless you've done something truly significant in this world that stood out in about two to three generations, no one's even going to remember you or even know you. And a lot of times you even think about that, you know, it's sad to a lot of people because it's also a subconscious reminder to them that they haven't really been living their life. They really haven't done anything significant. They've just been going through a routine every day, you know, wake up, go to sit through traffic, go to work, come home, barely talk to kids, barely spend any time. They rarely ever create any experiences with their family. They just, they're just existing. So then they, that's like a grim reminder that they're just existing and that they're not truly living. Even if you do live your life to the fullest and no one remembers you three, four generations from now, you live, man. And then at least one or two of those generations will also have had those experiences. So yeah. And then hopefully they'll talk to, you know, their bloodline, you know, their, you know, their offspring about the times they had with their grandmother or with their father or whatever else. And then, you know, at least a little bit, those stories can carry on, you know? So but like I said, it's just, it's really something to think about that. Like, yeah, man, three or four generations from now, you're non-existent unless you really did something truly, you know, exceptional in this world that was documented in whatever else, you know? You know, you know my, my whimsical counter to all that is, is, is once you're gone, you're not going to miss yourself. Either. No, that, that, that's also the point that I was kind of just like, when you, that's also about the whole legacy thing. I'm like, yeah, you yeah are, don't you worry are. so much about being remembered because Look, I don't know who my, my, my great grandfather on my dad's side. I never met him. I've seen a picture or two of him. So, whatever I think, so he doesn't exist in me, in my memories. Yeah. So, that's what I'm saying. That was my point. Like, you know, three or four generations, you won't be remembered. So, live your life now. Quit and worrying my, about my, your my legacy. In my generation. But, you know, I don't have kids. And I, even, if, even if I did have kids, they didn't meet my mother. So, once I'm gone, the memory of her is going to be gone. Yeah. With but it doesn't really matter because she, because it it doesn't have any impact on the quality of the life she had. Exactly. Whether I remember her or not. Exactly. 
So I was just like, that's what's like, you know, be in the moment and live now. Quit worrying about, oh, you know, if my legacy is going to do this, you know, and my generation, you know, the wealth that I'm passing down to my kids. I'm like, dude, enjoy. Well, that, that's why, I mean, I'm listening. It's interesting because I'm listening to you talk about something that is almost like a parallel discussion to grieving, but it, it, it ties together nicely because mm-hmm. grieving is something, grieving is living in the moment. You're grieving in the moment. You're not trying to suppress that. And, exactly. and just distract yourself because when you distract yourself you're not living in the moment if you're sad and you pretend that you're not sad that's a distraction that's not yeah. authentic that's why i've purposely been like look, look i'm not the most extroverted person to begin with as we both know but i do like to go out and do things have a good time play cards hang out with people and all that but i haven't been doing that recently why because right. i don't feel like doing that so why force myself to do it Right. I was talking to a guy at the gym the other day. He plays cards. He plays poker. I play blackjacks. So every once in a while, we talk about that. He was like, hey, I was at the South Point. I was thinking about you playing over there. And I was like, yeah, you know, I haven't been there in a while. And we just talked about what have, what have been, what's been going on. And he's a dog lover, too. So he got it. I was like, yeah, I'm just not in a festive mood right now. I just don't want to be around that. I'm sad right now. I'm sad that Grover's gone. I'm sad that Mickey's gone. And then it's made me think about all the other dogs I've lost since 2011. I lost Mona. I lost Rabia. I lost Petey. Right. And, and before before Mona, we had a dog Rosie that we lost. So it's been it's been a lot of loss. And then my mother passed in 2015, and my favorite aunt in 2015, and my uncle, who I wasn't super close with, but I really liked him. So I mean, and I and I in in the past, I always tried to just put that sorrow energy into something fruitful or something positive. So when when Mona passed, I rescued Rabia probably a couple weeks later because yeah. I was so sad about her passing. I go, let me try to put this this sorrow into something that'll help another being. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do. I'm glad I did it. And Rabia is 11. So I figure I'm really saving a dog's life here because senior dogs rarely get rescued, unfortunately, in places. And I understand why people don't want to deal with it. We won't go off on that tangent. But my attitude was, I don't want this dog to die in the shelter when I can do something about it. So let me rescue her. And whatever time I get with her is great. Now, is it hard when they go? Yeah, it's really hard because I only had Rabia for five years and it, it was hard to lose her. I only had PD for two years. It was hard. But I got to say, it was way harder to lose Grover because I had him for 15 years. That's a long time to have a dog. And some people are like, wow, that he even lived that long? He even lived 15 years? He actually lived 18 years. Yep. Now, he had a nice long life and 15 of those were with me. Maybe even 16, actually. I'd have to do the math, but definitely 15. And that that's a so that's so, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna diminish that loss to myself. I'm not gonna do what I normally do at this point because it's not just losing him, it's the accumulation of loss. Yeah. It's that cup of sorrow spilling over finally, where now I finally have to deal with all of this sorrow. And I'm not gonna just distract myself by going, hey, let's go to the shelter and get another dog right now. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of dogs in the shelter that need a home, no doubt about it. But you know what? There's gonna be a lot of dogs that need a home next month as well, as well as five months from now, as well as a year from now. So I'm not going to just guilt myself into going, Hey, you know what, instead of feeling sorrow, sorry about losing Grover, go help another dog. You know, that'll make you feel better. So yeah, it will eventually, but I'm not going to do that right now. Exactly. And, <laughs> and how it's much okay you know, for me not to do it right now. And you can give a lot more of yourself when you really start working on the healing process before, you know, you rescue another dog, you know, right. instead of just having more, just one more accumulation of, of grief that hasn't been dealt with, you know, yeah. because each, time that you lose you know a dog you know you're adding a little bit more you're compounding you know the need for healing and right. the thing is and thing is you're and you're carrying that over 
to the next dog and you're not doing them any favors because there's probably a lot more you now you give a lot but it's probably you don't you may not understand truly how much more you can give when you're actually empty when you've right. actually emptied out the other stuff right you know that's the thing about it. even that like I said, that goes with humans as well or like i said it goes with relationships jobs whatever built you know businesses you know when you haven't truly mourned the loss of that thing that you put so much into, you know, how much do you really think you can give to the next thing? You know, right. so many people are like, Oh, I'm off to the next. Or as soon as the relationship is over, it's like, I, I need to find someone else. It's like, Oh, I, I need some. No, because probably most likely in that last relationship, not only did you lose that person that, you know, that you were with, you also lost a big chunk of you because you invest right. a lot of time in this person. So right. now you got to find that part of you as well. You know, the way so that the way that person made you feel is a way that no one else is really, they're not going to make you feel like that. So it's almost exactly. like that person is not there because you, you need that other person to feel like that. And now that person's gone. So you're never going to feel like that. You may feel similar, may even be better, but you're not going to feel like that exactly. ever again. And that's, that's, basically almost like a death it's really that was a, a no, that was a that was a normal for you that is no longer normal it is gone right. it's right. done you know to my even if that person was toxic as hell for some reason though you stayed in that toxic toxicity and so some part of that toxicity was normal to you and it was a part of you you made it a part of your you know your being so now you have now you have to resolve the fact like okay i gotta let that go now and you got to figure out what to do with that, you, especially when you have to come to the realization like, OK, that was really toxic and I really tolerated that. So right. what part of me thought that that was OK? So now you now you got to look at that part of you that actually thought that was OK. Now you got to resolve the fact like, hey, I got to let that part of me go or you got to integrate it, which is the better thing to do. You know, not try to just get rid of that person that that the, that thought that was OK, but integrate it so you can better understand it. And because here's the thing about doing what's called shadow work and doing that and really coming face to face with those things that don't serve you. It's not about trying to forget them and get rid of them, act like they never happened. It's like taking that, like you saying about rooming, you know, finding, like I said, just that, that, that happiness in that sorrow into that pain, you got to find the healing in that pain and then use that as your superpower now to move on to the next thing. It's like, all right, you know, you need that suffering. You need to understand that suffering so therefore you can suffer a little less in that situation. You're going to always suffer. Something's going to always cause you pain. As long as you're breathing and you're a human being, you're going to feel some pain. You know, but the thing is like the more and more you understand the trauma and understand the pain that you've like, gone through before, that makes it a little bit, I guess you say, you have more understanding on how to address when pain shows itself up in other ways. Again, because most time pain is just dressed up in different clothes, but it's the same. It's the same thing. It's just wearing a different outfit. It's in a different season, you know? So a lot of times, because this thing, mostly all the stuff is still the same stuff. But it just looks differently, even though it is the same, it's the same usually the same underlying things going on. You know, there's some ego issues that have gone on. There's right. some, there's some childhood trauma issues that are going with, with parenting that you have yet to understand how to let go of that, that no longer serve you. And never, you know, and then people might say like, well, abuse that doesn't serve you. It serves you in a way when you can recognize it, it'll because it'll serve you in knowing when to recognize it the next time it, it's creeping up in another form and you can just nip it in the bud. Like, I'm not going to, no, we're not doing that. 
<laughs> you're not going to talk to me that way. You're not going to raise your voice. I mean, you're not going to be punching holes in the wall because you know pretty much what usually comes after those things now because right. you've actually realistically looked at those situations when they happened before and saw them for what they really were and not some made-up story that you had to come up with in order to just tolerate them and not rock the boat. So, <clears throat> so yeah, man, here's the thing. There's, again, without that struggle, man, there there is no progress, you know, whatsoever. So, But the thing is, you got to understand – what that struggle and what that pain is. And so you can start healing and we can't ignore it. Can't everything's not hunky dory and that good vibes only bullshit is just bullshit. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's okay to go into minimalist mode and just plug up any energy dissipation. That's why I've been, I haven't been on Instagram for probably three weeks now. I don't plan on being it for the rest of the month. Yeah. I don't, yeah. (laughs) Not only have I not missed anything, but it's just, I I just don't care. I I just don't care to be honest. So why force myself to be on it? You know, if I actually wanted to look at it, I wouldn't deny myself from looking at it, but I don't care to be on it right now because I don't have the energy. Honestly, I don't have the energy to post anything and I don't have the energy to look at anything (laughs) or the desire. So let me just leave that alone. It's not going anywhere. And then with, with working out, Sometimes when people are dealing with grief, they just cut up, they just stop training and they just basically curl up in a ball. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, but what I am saying that, that, that about that is I know personally that if I just let myself go physically, I'm not going to feel better about that. And there's no benefit of that. I'm not going to let myself go for three months and then try to get back at it. And I'm, I'm weak and lethargic and I'm pissed off now because I let myself go. Now, at the same time, I'm not going to force myself to be on some six-day-a-week regimen and try to hit some PRs right now either. So I'm doing a minimalist program because we can't check out a life completely. We all have responsibilities. I can't just shut down my website and not deal with the business for a month. I mean, I could do that theoretically, but that, that wouldn't be a smart move to make. But what I can do is not put any pressure on myself to try to build a business right now. Just go into a little bit of a maintenance mode, just run it, you know, do what I need to do to keep it running smoothly right now until I'm ready to ramp it up again. And with training, what I've done is it's like a cup of sorrow minimalist program where instead of training several times a week, I'm doing three times a week right now. And I can honestly take that down to two times a week. And what I've done is because I have no desire to train is I just go, look, go to the gym, do three moves. That's all you got to do. Three moves. And then you're out of there. So I don't go in there going, hey, okay, you got to do five chest exercises and then you know 10 back exercises. I'm a minimalist program person anyway. I have that five pillar strategy, five different categories, but I've actually lowered that to three right now because psychologically that makes it easier for me to digest. Like yesterday, I was like, man, I was, I was, I was just fighting resistance because I just did not want to train. I go, but you got to maintain some level of consistency right now. It's really important. It's good for your mental health too. You may not feel like doing it, but you're always going to feel at least a little bit better afterwards. A little bit of a sense of accomplishment. Glad you did it get some positive neurochemicals produced and all that. And it just gives you a little bit of control in a situation. You can't necessarily control all your emotions, your sorrow, but you can put your time into something. And in this, in this strategy, I find works really well. Now you can even make it two moves. You can even make it one move if you have to. But what I'm saying is just reduce it to something minimalist to keep it going. And then let yourself rest as much as you need to. A lot of times people are, people are, are under rested. People are sleep deprived even during good times and take as much sleep as you're going to need more sleep when you're in this sorrow state because you need more recovery time. It's a, it's a big toll on you. You know, sorrow is a big expenditure of energy. It's a necessary one, but it is an expenditure of energy. That's why people are always tired all the time when they're dealing with serious loss. 
but I make myself do a few workouts and then I make myself do long walks every day with Raina. And I, I don't look forward to that right now either. I make myself do it. Sometimes it irritates me that Raina even wants to do it. <laughs> you know, right. I, I go, why do you have to have so much energy? Okay. Why can't you be older and just want to sleep around all day? But you know, that's, that's her. She's living in the moment. And right. it's, it's, it's good for me too, to get on those long walks. But I, avoid, <laughs> you know, you know, I, I usually avoid people under normal circumstances. <laughs> but now, now I'm so strategic about it; it's almost comical. Now it's to the point where it's actually obvious that I'm avoiding people. You know, before, before it would be a little bit subtle. But here's me like arriving at the park while everyone's leaving. Here's me going, oh, everyone's coming this way towards this one <laughs> route. So let me take this side route before right. they see me. <laughs> now it's become comical with it. But because I, I don't want to be around, look, look, I don't want to be Mr. Doom Gloom either, where I'm just in this bad mood. But at the same time, I don't want to fake, like, hey, how do you guys do it? How was your day? Oh, I'm great. I don't, I don't want to play that game right now because I don't have the energy for it. Yeah. <laughs> And just the fact, you know, even if someone's picking up, you know, on that you might be sad, then just having to just talk about it. Like, are you okay? Is everything okay? It's like, now you got to make a choice. Like, I don't don't feel like lying and saying like, I'm good because I'm not. But at the same time, I don't want to tell you that I'm not because A, no one really cares. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be honest, you know, it's like. They can care to an extent, but then they're like, like, okay, that's a lot, bro. I mean, shit. I it was a rhetorical question. I didn't know he's really going to go into it like that. And it's like, now they're feeling awkward because they don't know what to do with it. You know, so. They're, they're sitting there going, man, the Dodgers game starts in 30 minutes. Just <laughs> like, hey, how about that Aaron Judge, man? They're like, who? You're like, what? This, guy, this guy's giving me his whole philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're going to be that guy's like, man, are you running the mic lately? Nope. It's like, don't let him get started with that whole cup of sorrow. <laughs> Whatever you do, you don't ask what he's doing. <laughs> just speak yeah, because what, what people don't realize is I'm not just mourning Grover's loss. I'm mourning all of these dogs' loss. I'm, lo- I'm mourning loss, period, right now. That's just, right. The, that's just the mind. I mean, but I don't want to get into that with everybody I run into because it's too It's long tiring. To- I mean, it just, yeah. it just like, it's what a little, whatever energy levels you've kind of built back up, it just depletes that. Like, ah, nope, yeah. my, no recovery for you. You know, it's almost like when you've had an injury. And as soon as you start feeling a little better, you try to go back in the gym and try to go as hard as you did before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you end up tearing up it's actually even worse. Like, ah, oh, man. And you're frustrated because you see, you're thinking to yourself like, man, why can't I get past this? Like, I just want to get back to training and not realizing like, yeah, you need to take some time to actually heal. Right. <laughs> and you know, that, that's what you need to just suck it up. You're not going to be, it's not like you're going to be as weak as you were, or just, you're going to have like your sixth grade strength or something like that. And if you do, then so be it. You just work your way up. You know what to do to get back to where you were. Yeah. You yeah know, it's not but, the end of the world, especially for people like us who know what to do. Exactly. So it's just like, you know, it's just going to require time and patience at the end of the day and just let yourself heal. And I think that's what the theme of this entire episode is, you know, just really getting to the, the, the magic of healing. I mean, I, I can tell you what's definitely not productive with the grieving process, eating too much junk food, drinking too much alcohol, doing too much marijuana, you know, just try, those are all distractions too. Right. And, just, and on the flip side of that, instant fixes. and on the flip side of that, cause there's always the opposite, you know, but, and for those who, you know, you're sleep, you don't want to go to sleep. You don't eat, you know, you're not taking care yeah. of yourself. Yeah, yeah, you you yeah, want to yeah. starve yourself. You're like, I don't feel like eating. I don't feel like getting out, you know, and just getting some sunshine. Even if you're just going to your backyard, it's just like you want to sit in this dark place and not move, 
you know, but at the same time, you're, you're in bed all day, but you're not sleeping, you right. know, so you, cause you feel like you feel guilty if you rest because like, man, you know, does this mean that I'm forgetting, you know, the one that I, you know, I lost because now I'm, I'm trying to actually like get back to my normal routine and actually sleep them up. Like, no, that's not even it. So there are, there are extremes on both sides that don't work in your favor. You know, well, I mean, there's also a level of exhaustion that's usually built up even before the sorrow kicks in. Right. And what we were dealing with with Mickey and Grover as senior dogs, they 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 had a lot of problems towards the tail end of their life. I mean, they were basically one of one or one or both of them were peeing in the house every day. Unfortunately, we don't have any carpets. Otherwise, we <laughs> would lose our shit. But every day that was happening because sometimes yeah. maybe they don't they can't get through the night or someone didn't wake up or I'm gone for too long or Carol's gone for too long. Yeah. So that, that was that was almost almost every time we went out for more than two hours, we would come home to pee on the floor. Yeah. And it's, it, it's exhausting to clean that up every single day. It's exhausting that a lot of senior dogs usually have health problems or you're yep. in and out of the vet's office often. Like, oh, Grover has an ear infection now. Oh, Grover's hip is not working. Oh, Grover's got this problem. So you're dealing with that all the time. And I'm happy. Look, I love my dogs. So I'm happy to do whatever it needs to. I'd rather clean up their pee every day and still have them alive than have right. them die. You know? So I'm not, I'm not trying to feel sorry for myself for having to do all that, but there is an, uh, there is a level of exhaustion that comes with all that. It just does. It's like, look, I have a friend who is, she actually takes care of our dogs whenever we're out. Lady's name is Claire and her husband died during the pandemic. She, he actually died of COVID much older guy. So he had underlying health issues that were just as aspirated by COVID. Now, Towards the last probably six months of his life, her husband's life, he had pretty much full-blown dementia, Alzheimer. He had a lot of hostile tendencies as a result of the dementia. It was extremely stressful for Claire is where I'm going. And every time I ran into her, I could see on her face how stressful it was. So when he passed, I didn't want to bring it up like, you must be relieved, like say something just callous like right. that. But in the back of my head, I go, I bet part of her is relieved that he's gone. And guess what? She said that. I didn't have to bring it up. She said that now, she obviously misses him and it was very hard on her, but now she can heal and just focus on herself. Because yeah, she, didn't have a part, she didn't have a partner anymore. Those last yeah. several months, she had someone that she had to take care of. She was in this basically yeah. hospice situation where he's not an asset anymore. He's a liability. He's not making money. He's not more. He's not offering any emotional support. He's just stress. He's just a constant source of stress for her. And it, it doesn't make you a bad person to be relieved when that's over. Yeah. We have a couple of friends who went through the same thing with loss of their husbands who it was the same thing. One had cancer and same thing. And just constantly trips to, to, you know, hospitals. They had to fly all the way to Houston every, you know, every year or every six months for treatment. And it was this grueling process every time, you know? So it was kind of just like one of those things, like it's just a matter of time. Everything's failed. Every time it comes, something was failing, kidney failure, something was, you know, seizures, heart attacks, everything. And then, you know, there was another one who her husband, like, you know, this dude was, a, you know, a chain smoker. And basically, you know, he's on, you know, oxygen machine, whatever else. But he just became a liability because he just he couldn't stop the habit, even though he knows that his health was deteriorating, you know, because but he was so addicted to it. That, you know, so it was kind of one of those things. Where she was just kind of waiting for him to die. You know, and everybody thinks, that sounds so cruel. But it's like you get it because that person's not going to change. But at the same time, they're so dependent on you. You know, and other, but they're addicted to this thing, you know, no matter what, you know, to the point where, you know, 
he's he'd rather sit out in the garage or whatever and because that was his way of trying to cope with all his health issues <laughs> and his mind thinking like well you know I, I need a cigarette he's like that's the thing that got you here but you know sometimes it's really when somebody's addicted to something it's hard for them to make that connection and you know but it becomes very taxing to the person that, that doesn't it doesn't have those issues, but they're going through it with you. And especially when the, the other person's not recognizing that you're going through it with them, they just like, well, you know, for better, or for worse. And, you know, sometimes they just like, well, leave me alone and let me die. And then, so then people who have a guilt mindset, you know, that bothers them, you know, that, that, that someone would say that it's like, well, I love you. Like, how dare you even say something like that? Well, sometimes they know, like, look, I'm not giving this up. I'm not going to stop doing this. And it's probably better that, you know, you do just let me die. It's, it's going to work out for both of us. But at least I'm going to die doing something I wanted to do. Because that's what they'll tell themselves, you know? And so it just becomes this big ball of emotion. But trust me, when both their husbands pass, you can see the big difference. Well, one of them, especially one, she still got some things to work on. Whereas the other one, her life, like just did a 180 dude. It's just like, she now gets to focus truly on herself and she's not necessarily living for someone else. And she's finding out who she is now because she actually had her own stuff too, before this relationship, before this marriage, you know, a lot of childhood and family trauma that she hadn't had time to, she didn't really give herself time to work on healing from that. And then just like going through this process of losing her spouse helped her realize that she had a lot of other stuff. Like you would think, you know, like you were saying, you know, that, that she hadn't dealt with. It's like, okay, I'm, now this is all coming up now. All this other healing that was necessary is now coming to fruition and it needs to happen. And so she's doing it now. And like, I can see the change the last couple of times that we've chatted, you know, and just, just by the things that she, she's focusing on, even just like kind of getting rid of some of his stuff, like letting it go and letting go of the guilt of, well, if I'm getting rid of this stuff, it's, it's like me getting rid of, you know, his memory or whatever. So I'm like, unless you lose your memory, unless somebody takes your brain out or something like that, or you, you, or you wake up with amnesia, then no one can ever take the memories of somebody from you. You right. know, I think we put a lot of, you know, we put a lot into the, these things of people's like, oh, hold on. This was leads to Hoarderville for a lot of people. Most time hoarding is the fact that people are not dealt with loss. Right. And that's why they hold on to stuff. Oh no, don't throw that away. That was her blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. give it her a memory. Like, no, throw that shit away. She's gone. There's nothing she can do with that. Well, if I Someone throw it away, died. then I won't remember. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with your memory? That, you know, a blanket is the only thing that keeps and helps you remember, you know, someone that's supposed to be so significant in your life. I get it, but it's a thing. There's nothing it can do. It can't bring that person back. And all it does is for a lot of times it helps people to also hold on to the sadness because they, they don't feel like they deserve to be able to move on with their life and heal and actually continue on with life. It's like, well, they feel guilty if they move on. Right. And they're not stuck in the sadness. They need to be stuck in the sadness to prove that they actually cared. And that's right. why they hold on to these things. Like, nah. That's a very, very precise and important point. That's 100% accurate. That's exactly what happens. I mean, I get it, man. I mean, there was a suit that my that was my dad's that I I had for a few years after he passed. And I'm like, I'm never gonna wear that suit because that's <laughs> just creepy, you know. It's just like, like he didn't die in the suit, but just the fact. And so, like, dude, there was um one of my father-in-law's <laughs> friends that come over from Egypt, and like every time he would come over, like he passed away um, a couple years ago. He was like a really good friend, a childhood friend of my father-in-law's. So that's somebody else that's dealt with a lot of loss recently. You know, there's a lot of his friends and brothers and all this, you know. And sometimes when you outlive all these people, especially when you get to his age, you kind of have that survivor's remorse. I'm like, dude, 
you're you're now in your mid 70s you can't no and a lot of your friends they weren't taking care of themselves and you you're good you're you're still walking around and you're very active you don't feel guilty for doing that you know but um you know like i said his friend would come over and of course a lot of times when he he'd come here you know we'd always like of course he'd take a lot of stuff back over there back to egypt you know because there are so many people that pretty much they're they're barely making a living, man, or not one at all. They're really living below the poverty level, way yeah. below. Not not our poverty line. Our poverty line looks like the one percent compared to a lot of these, oh, these yeah. places, you yeah. know. So we like all this extra shit. We would have clothing and stuff like stuff we don't even wear, and we haven't worn like in a year, two years, five years, ten years. It's like like here, man. You know, <laughs> take all the stuff back with you and give it to whoever. You know, they they'll get more use out of it than we ever would, and so. Well, you know, I think one of the best feelings I had is like when I gave that suit <laughs> to him. I'm like, here you go. And he was like, this is a this is a good suit. What are you doing? I'm like, yeah, you can have it. Take it. You know, and I that was a that was a bit of a healing for me in doing that. It's just like I, I felt this sense of relief, you know, because for some reason, when I really think back to it, seeing that suit sitting in the closet, it's almost like I had a, a casket in that closet, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And every time as my look in the back, it was at the very back to like to make sure everything I had all my clothing to block me from seeing it. But whenever I would like go f- get a coat or something like that, and then I get to that suit and see it, there was just a sense of, ooh, you know, just this emptiness. So now I feel like, okay, now I can, that emptiness now can be, you know, fulfilled. I can get on now. I said, it's not going to sit there and make me not remember my dad or whatever. So. It's like letting it go. But again, it just comes from, again, that upbringing because you grew up around it where people hold on to stuff because they think like, oh, it is just a memory. Now, trust me, there are pictures and things like that. There might be little things here and there. That's one thing. But like I said, when you're holding on to stuff because you feel guilty and think that you're actually going to forget that person by letting go of this thing, that's a crappy road to go down. And like I said, that's the road to Horderville. And then then, you'll not be able to live. that's That's part of the grieving process to work through. Yes, that thing as well. And that's why sometimes grievy grief counseling is good because those are the kind of things they'll bring up and help Mm -hmm. you work through as well. It's good that, I mean, everyone needs someone to talk to you about stuff that they want someone who can actually relate to the experience. Yep. Not to be exact, but it's always refreshing. Like, look, I've had other survivors contact me, especially after I wrote my book. I've had survivors to this day that'll contact me by email and talk about things they've been through. And often they'll preface it by saying, I've never talked about this to anyone. Right. Here they are unloading on me, a stranger, but mm-hmm. what they read in my book was so relatable. They knew I would get it. So right. it didn't matter that I'm a stranger. What mattered is, am I going to get it or not? Because those are very difficult things to talk about, especially to someone who doesn't get it, who hasn't right. been through it. Because the last thing you want to hear is a bunch of platitudes from someone who doesn't understand it, how traumatic it can right. be. It's like, well, look, you know, you're, you still, you're still here today. Oh, yeah. Come on, man. You know, you're 49 now. Just get over it. Like, or it's like, well, look, you survived, man. You know, there's some that don't even make it. And like, <laughs> okay. You know the funny thing about people is they always have to, they always have to give the example of someone who is less better off than you are. Exactly. You feel better. They try to prop you up a little bit. You know, they think well, like, okay, I, this will make I, you feel better. You look yeah. at you, man. You're striving now. You know, whereas some people never come back from that. Like who say I'm, who say I came back from it, you know, just because right. it, it just looks different, you know? So also, it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel good about my situation, knowing that there are people out there suffering. Exactly. That doesn't make me feel better or about my situation. It makes me feel bad for them which is a healthy response. And then 
a better response is like, okay, what can I do to help other people? But yeah. the point is, is that just bringing up examples of other people that are suffering more than you, that doesn't help. It's not constructive in any way. It's not useful. It's not a contest. It's not, it's not the suffering Olympics. Okay. It's just, whereas, Hey man, at least you made it to the race. You got through the race first, you know, so you got your gold medal cause you survived and that person's still running a suffering race. Like, no, come on, man. what are we doing here? Yeah. What, what are we really doing? I think, I think the best thing you can do is when, like I had people reach out to me, you know, friend, actual friends of mine and say, Hey, I'm so sorry to hear about Grover. I know how much he means to you. And that's all they said. And that's all they needed to say. Right. And, and now, and now, and I appreciate it. I appreciated that they reached out to me. They weren't, they didn't say anything such as, Oh, you just feel good that you gave him a good life and you know, you'll be fine. You know, you'll get another dog someday. Like those God, kind of platitudes. I don't want to hear all that. You know, I don't want to hear all that right now, I'm like, but no, sorry, go ahead. No, oh, no, that's right up there with like a woman that goes to a miscarriage. Like, well, you're so young. You still have time to have yeah, more yeah, kids. Yeah, have yeah, a, yeah. Uh, what the, it's not, you just can't replace it like that. It's just like, right. oh, go have another kid. Like, do you understand what goes into all that? It's just like, you understand how emotional that is, even just, just to be intimate again after that, because you, you're constantly wondering, like, what's wrong with my body? You know, why did my body, my body betray me like that? You know, and so it's just like, it's, it's not, it's so cut and dressed. Things are not so black and white when it comes to the loss of, of anything significant in your life, you yeah. know? So sometimes there's a bit of relief that comes, like, as we talked about, there's a, there's relief that comes with the grieving process when they go, such as there is a, there is a part of me that's relieved that Grover is not suffering anymore. I'm not relieved that he's not here anymore, but I'm, I'm relieved that he's not suffering anymore because I could see him suffering right. and trying to hang on for me. He just, he didn't want to let me go. He wanted right. to be around. So that was his survival instinct was so strong to his detriment to the point where he couldn't even walk on the floor anymore without sliding around. He couldn't, he could barely drink water without just, just coming back up. He yeah. didn't want to eat anymore. The only relief he had is when he was sleeping. So now he's got, now he's in a permanent sleep. Right. So it's, it's over that all that suffering he dealt with it's over. And that, that's, there's something I guess almost comforting. beautiful about that. Yeah. There's something beautiful and comforting that, yeah, he did suffer at the end, but it didn't, it didn't go on forever. It ended. So he's not exactly. still suffering like that. Now. And you can, you can take some solace in that as well. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, man. Yeah. I, I honestly think like what else we want to talk about, we can say that for the next episode. I think this was, yeah. uh, this yeah. is a good place. Like I said, um, especially now that we, you know, we actually spoke in terms of just lost period, not just, losing you know an animal friend but also just a loss of anything like i said right. relationship business or anything like that you know anything that you really poured your heart and soul into man and you really connected with and and spent a lot of significant time you know basically nurturing you know and then for it to no longer be here you know that's that's like again that's a big part of you that's gone as well and just finding ways to deal with that and actually addressing that and giving yourself time to heal from that, no matter how long that takes. Sometimes it may, I mean, I don't know whenever it's been a hundred percent, you ever a hundred percent healed from the loss of anything that's significant. Well, I don't, I, think, I, I don't think, think that's that, even possible. You know, you have truly many things that you're never truly going to be 100% healed with that, but there's, you know, there's always the, there's always the, you can always look forward to, that one day you'll be able to like, okay, I can actually function now. I can actually move forward 
but I'm very grateful for the time that I spent with that person, with this animal or doing this thing or building this thing, because this is what I took from that. And now I can actually appreciate that and use that to, for whatever the next steps are, whatever the next chapter is for you. So, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll leave everyone with this in, in season nine of 24, right? One of my favorite shows and one of your favorite shows shows as well. So you'll understand this, this scene, there's a scene where Jack is talking to another agent and the agent just found out that the agent, basically her backstory was her husband was accused of espionage and mm-hmm. eventually imprisoned. And he actually committed suicide in prison. Now, she believed that he was guilty towards the end. And that's what put him over the edge. She said that the last time she ever saw him, he could tell, she could look at him and tell that he was looking at her going, she doesn't believe I'm innocent anymore. Right. And that put him over the edge because that's what gave him some hope is that she still believes in me. I'm innocent. She still believes in me. As long as she still believes in me, maybe there's hope in this situation. And when she gave up, when she thought that he actually was guilty of what he was accused of, she, she gave up on him and he saw that she had given up on him and he gave up on, on himself as a result. Right. So now she's getting this information that he was set up. He was a patsy for someone else. And so she has immense guilt over the whole situation, how it unraveled. And she goes, how do I live with this? And Jack just goes, you just do. And that was it. You know? That's it. <laughs> Jack about all the things he's done. He goes, look, back, he's talking about season eight. He goes back in season eight when my partner was killed. He's like, I got about as much revenge as I could get. And I went overboard with it. Right. And now I got to live with those things. And you just, you just do. You just do yeah. live with <laughs> What else are you going to do? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, man. Life lessons for 24. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> when, once, once you bring up a 24 analogy, you know it's at the end of the episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> Either 24 or heat, then you know you're yeah. wrapping this up. <laughs> so, yeah, folks. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack right there. So hopefully, like I said, uh, like we said in that previous episode, hopefully what we discussed today can really help some folks, man, and really help them heal and kind of give them a little bit of, hey, you know, this is some things I need to address, some things I need to do. Here's some steps I can take, you know, or at least just to be aware and question like, hmm, are you talking about me? Am I in that situation? The fact that you question yourself pretty much, you may already have your answer. The fact that you right. have to ask that. And then, you know, hopefully the next thing you do is to address it. And so that's that's the best we can do with this. And um, And just hope that this episode serves as a resource to help you move forward by actually looking at what's going on right now. All right. Yeah. So on that note, folks, we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, from this point, hey, take care of yourself, folks. See you next time. All right. Take care, everyone. That wraps up this week's Live Life Aggressively show. Be sure to head over to MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Use the coupon code LLA12 and receive 12% off of your total purchase at either of those websites. Also, for more personal protection tips, make sure you head over to NewWarriorDefense.com. Support the production of the Live Life Aggressive Show by heading over to Patreon.com and becoming a patron. Simply go to Patreon.com slash LLA Podcast. All Patreon subscribers receive Patreon-only access to our brand new show, Afterlife, which is a brand new behind-the-scenes episode that is not available to the public. Our Patreon subscribers also get to enjoy bigger discounts on all of our products by receiving Patreon-only discount codes beginning at 15% off on all products on MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Lastly, 
Be sure to share the episode by following us on social media, on Facebook, as well as our new account on Instagram. Until the next episode, take care, everybody.